Hello, this is Kate Nocera, and you're listening to No One Knows Anything, the BuzzFeed News Politics Podcast. Every week, well, actually, this is our last week. We we talk about every week except for any after this one. We talk about this crazy time in American politics, break down a few stories, and try and make sense of things. And I'm uh, I'm Charlie Warzel, senior tech writer here at BuzzFeed, uh, signing on one last time. And just so you guys know, it, it, we're recording this at 1 p.m. on Thursday afternoon, because by the time you listen to this, who knows what could have happened. So it's our last podcast, so we thought we would go over some of the, the two just stories that I feel like have really taken over this year, and stories that we've talked about quite a few times. Joining us to do that will be Catherine Miller, political editor for BuzzFeed News and the editor of this fine podcast. How are you, Catherine? I'm fine. How are you guys? Pretty good. Uh, so the first topic I just wanted to to go over, and it's something that's really taken over, I think, in in the last two weeks, is the issue of Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and their place kind of in both American politics and in their effect or not effect on the election in 2016. Sorry. <laughs> Set you up, Char- Charlie, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I think these are just two really, really fascinating stories because they kind of started off on uh, on two different ends of the, of the of the spectrum with two two different groups of, of reporters and, and interested parties covering them. And here we are, you know, almost a year after the election and, and everything has has converged into one sort of massive uh, almost unknowable joint story, like a mega transformer story. And, and, and I think that it's sort of putting these two things together really shows kind of like how, how far we've come in that things keep growing, uh, and, and getting more complex and seeming the stakes seem to be raised. And yet we're sort of in the same place to a degree that we were, a year ago or nine months ago, whatever, you, wherever you want to market, where we don't really have a lot of answers. I, I think one thing that's changed pretty significantly in the last year that, and this is kind of the framework under which we're having a lot of these conversations, I think, is is there's a been a real broad sort of paradigm shift about how omnipresent Facebook really is and how and other other social platforms, but particularly Facebook, how omnipresent Facebook is, how supranational it is in terms of not really being contained just within this country. It's not contained in as a media company. It's not contained as a as quite a government function. like it it is very difficult to define what it is. But what is clear is how intermingled it is with people's lives. And as a result of that, they are involved in all these things and they're mixed up in the election in a way that I don't think it quite clicked for people until probably the last six months. There's been just sort of a lot of momentum in terms of like, oh, wait, this thing is in the room with us all the time. What's interesting is that tech reporters for sure, but also, you know, anyone who kind of lives in the in the world of media and publishing sort of realized this before anyone else. A lot of people were talking about Facebook's influence in late 2014 and it sort of ramped up through 2015, 2016. 
because if you work for a media company, you understand, you know, the, the industry's reliance on Facebook for traffic, for advertising, for uh, you sort of saw how it wrapped its like tentacles around the industry and just sort of squeezed and got it to do what it wanted. And I think that, you know, there was this acute sense for people who follow that or, or who have to live in that world that, you know, this is this incredibly powerful entity and it's, it's sort of on a scale that no one's ever seen before. But yeah, I think if you're just a normal observer and user of the service, it's like, hey, look at, you know, baby pictures and post statuses and, and you know, see news or whatever. Um, it's been so fascinating to watch people kind of wake up to Facebook's influence in their own way. And I think that sort of where we're at right now is like where I think the media industry was in 2015, 2016, which is like absolute panic, which is just like... I didn't realize this was happening. It's such a big story. There's so much influence and it's almost like just this turn on Facebook. Very without. rapidly. What's interesting to me though is that conversation that was happening in like 2014, 2015 kind of took two tracks and one is reporters, writers who were closely following how the platform worked, how privacy interacts with the individual, how much data you know Facebook has on somebody. That was a lot of that conversation and also how much different media properties were yoked traffic-wise, to the algorithms. And then on the flip side, you also had people like Rupert Murdoch. We just published a story this week about where you have a lot of these legacy publications, print newspapers, TV channels, but particularly print newspapers who forever operated on a subscriber model. And when the entry point for all news was becoming Google and Facebook, that irreparably damaged the subscription model for newspapers. And so you have somebody like Rupert Murdoch who had a very clear business imperative and has always been very, very antagonistic towards what advertisers call the duopoly, which is the uh, Facebook and Google, which is <laughs> is like very clearly – it's very clearly some marketing to get to get regulators to go after Google and Facebook. But he was early in on it and now it's kind of – shifted back, I think, as people realize just how much news they are consuming through those, through particularly Facebook. Yeah. I, I started covering Facebook in about like 2012 and then I joined BuzzFeed in 2013 and really started sort of digging into it on a more granular level. And a story that I wrote back in 2013 was sort of dealing with what Facebook knows about you and how, you know, how they're trying to, to use that, how they're trying to like very clearly both show and not show you their influence. And it sort of got me, you know, talking to people at the company and going to meet people who deal with some of these algorithms. And there was this sense even back then, and this, and the reason I'm bringing it up is because it's, it's just, it's really relevant to the conversation today, which is that I got the sense that Facebook really actually sort of didn't understand its own influence. Like they're very keenly aware of what their algorithms can do, but there, there was this, this sense that like they have built a completely neutral platform that does a couple of things and, you know, let's not take certain things too seriously. And then there was a sense of that the company kind of didn't know some of the external things that the platform did, you know, in terms of the people that it reached and the way that it influenced. And, and they sort of only thought of it in this really, you know, in this sort of techno utopian way. And I, and I don't, I don't think that they, that there was anything when I was reporting in 2013 on, on this stuff, that there was any sort of like maliciousness or anything or cover up going on. It was this sort of lack of understanding because things 
on the network are always happening so fast and at such a scale but, when you're serving you know a billion plus people. Charlie, I disagree a little bit. I do think they understood some of their power because they hired all. I mean, as when it when it comes to politics, I think it was like twenty. 14 really was when we first started seeing it where they they hired all these political operatives from both sides of the aisle and these operatives would go into campaigns it's it's something that sort of is being looked at a little bit closer now but they would go into campaigns and teach campaigns how to how to use facebook how how to target i mean they 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 did put some structure in the this place to to that they understood that their platform could reach people in a political way and especially for political advertising target very specifically. No, and, and I, I actually totally agree with that. And and especially with politics and now sort of the catch 22 for them or whatever you want to call it is that they have to sort of assuage their advertisers that what they've been saying about the, their ability to influence whether it's political advertising or normal advertising, they've been touting their ability to influence people with ads. And they mm-hmm. have to sort of balance that with this sort of like, well, it's not too influential. Like if, you know, if you're trying to, you know, <laughs> make people believe that Hillary Clinton, you know, smells like sulfur or whatnot, that <laughs> that's not going to happen because people are, are rational, but also we can get you to, you know, buy, buy a special this. K. Sure. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Right. So <laughs> they're, in this, they're in this part where they have to be like, oh, these things actually are, completely ineffective when it's negative and really effective when you're sending a, a message that's, you know, good for society. So it's, it's, I totally agree that they understand, but I think when you actually speak to some of the people who are involved on like the technical end, and, and this is sort of what I was trying poorly to, to get at in 2013, talking with them sort of for the first time about this, I got this sense that they were sort of like, yeah, there's stuff that we like really have a hard time being able to see unless somebody points it out to us. Well, of course, because they've got the thing is the crazy thing is, is, and this is, this is why it shouldn't, this is the thing that has clarified for me in my mind in the last couple of months is of course they are not able to police all of human behavior happening on a platform when a billion, like, when, when, so when like people. a big chunk of the world uses it every day like you can't can you imagine policing like the behavior you know it's a, these issues they were having with facebook live video was a push that happened last year and they were having issues where people were for instance using it as a way to broadcast suicide or crime and that is of course the reality is, is that, you know, humans behave well, they behave poorly. That's just an, you know, an, an inalterable, alterable uh, fact of life. And it captures all of that in one place at a scale that is previously unimaginable. I had this weird aha moment a couple weeks ago where the amount of influence that posts on Facebook could have influenced people in the election, right? It's it's just not it's not something that I think really sunk in until the other day I bought like my fifth product that was advertised to me on Facebook. And just it knows me so well at this point that it knows exactly what to like show me. And I think I would yes, I would like Although to own the that. thing with that is to me is like I think when you see ads a lot of times you're like, oh that's an ad. The reality is is so many people in someone's network were posting about the election that it would be tough, I think, to measure the noise on any individual's person's feed and how it affected it. We did an interesting story earlier this year where a mother and a daughter 
the mother is pro-Trump. The daughter is, uh, is kind of kind of likes Bernie a lot. They agreed to let us go through their to analyze their Facebook feeds, oh, what they had seen. That was a great seen. story, yeah. And even though they were related, so, you know, they had friends and family members in common, and they lived, they both live in Louisiana. It was two parallel universes basically happening. And that's not necessarily a function of advertising. That's just a function of who they knew and what they liked and what was kind of delivered to them in that space. But wasn't Facebook delivering, it was sort of, surfacing certain things that would appeal to them specifically, right? Probably. I mean, I think that is... Yeah, I mean, these things are, yeah, these things are, like, very... Facebook's the the most powerful advertising tool ever created because it takes all the information about you and it segments it into categories where, you know, someone who knows nothing about you can find you simply by, we want to target... A 19-year-old who lives in Georgia who likes, you know, Macklemore and SpaghettiOs. And, like, you know, like it, it, that, it's that level. Like, if there's two people there, Facebook can make sure that they found those exact two people. And, and that obviously requires some sophistication of knowing who you want to target, spending the money. And then obviously it's up to those people to believe or not believe, you know, whatever it is that you're targeting them with. But, and in terms of... The things that Facebook can do, though, Charlie, you wrote an interesting piece this week, and, and this is kind of the space where the different platforms keep promising they will do better in breaking news events in terms of – and this is like a very isolated example of a space where bad information was pushed to a lot of people via a couple of different things, not just Facebook, but about the Las Vegas shooting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, in the in the minutes sort of after it, overnight, Ryan Broderick, our great reporter in the UK, found a lot of this misinformation before anyone else. But, you know, uh, Google News was surfacing stories from the the message board 4chan, which is just like it is a complete and total troll den. It's it's like ground zero for where people plan and plot out misinformation. And that was showing as the top search result for one of the uh, people, persons of interest in the in the Vegas shooting, like as it was happening, as people were trying to find information about a developing story. Um, Facebook's crisis response center for the Las Vegas shooting, where people are supposed to go to get information and check on people to make sure that they're okay. That was surfacing posts from like one site was alt-right news.blogspot.com that, you know, like these like click farm bullshit garbage things that are not vetted. And we're, you know, we're to some degree spreading really polarizing news. And I, and I think what is most frustrating about this, and I tried to write about this sort of at the end of my piece is as we were talking about, Facebook can't police everyone and everything on its network. But a lot of the things, especially with fake news and misinformation, it's really low-hanging fruit that seems to break through. Like with Facebook's Crisis Response Center, when, you're, when you have something that is dealing with crisis events and you have a news feed, why not make that set up so that it's only giving you stuff from vetted news publishers and not pulling in junk? Like that is an incredibly right. easy thing that you can just sort of set up. And for Google News... 4chan, you get in sort of this slippery slope when you block certain news outlets. And obviously, Google shouldn't be the arbiter of what's what news people read. But 
you can block something like 4chan, which has never in its decade plus history proven to be a legitimate news source. In fact, it is the exact opposite. So it's like, why aren't these companies, if they're really pledging every time to do better, like why can, you know, a random journalist or even just people, normal citizens who have Twitter accounts find this stuff immediately? Well, and especially because there's there's different when you self-identify something as a center for information, there's probably probably confers the expectation that that it is curated. It is there are there is some expert behind expert hand behind the thing. Some things you can set up, for instance, to have you can have algorithms run that identify something that is being so heavily viewed, for instance, that it needs a second look or whatever it, that you can kind of trigger where centers of information are. And then, you know, then you have like a team of people who is the expectation is that it has a human touch. Because um, one of the things you pointed out in your piece is uh, Apple News and Snapchat, which are primarily curated, which has its drawbacks, you know, is pros and cons. But uh, they performed better in the breaking news situation in terms of not not accidentally sending or sending people toward bad information. Yeah. Yeah. And and so, I mean, I think what we're getting at with all of this is that, like, this all seems to be kind of converging on, on Facebook all at once. Like, it, it's been ramping up for a while. But the sentiment among people that I talk to, both inside and outside Silicon Valley, is that they either need to get a grip on this stuff. That's the ideally they do that and, and try to, you know, make fixes and, and put safeguards in place and have standards for things like political advertisements or what they really need to do is acknowledge the problem and have like some degree of candor towards it and, and not sort of, you know, we talked last week about Mark Zuckerberg sending a, um, you know, writing a Facebook post that was like very defensive about, you know, this is what happens when you allow ideas from all sides and, you know, promoting conspiracy theories that say that the Las Vegas, you know, shooter was, you know, uh, someone from Antifa who, you know, listens to Rachel Maddow every night. Like that's not part of having ideas from all sides. That's, you know, spreading deliberate polarizing information to rile people up and, and potentially making money off of it. So I mean, I think Facebook needs it, it has no friends right now because it's not it's not doing the simple job of really admitting the problem with, with any kind of, you know, transparency or candor. And now they're about to be, as we said last week, be dragged in front of Congress to testify, will likely have to testify in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee, a cache of 3,000 ads that were allegedly bought by Russians to influence the election, you know, that those ads, what is in those ads, what those those ads look like has kind of captivated the imagination of the Hill. And good seg into our next topic, which is the Russia investigation and where we are since these two things are just kind of (laughs) intrinsically related, especially this week. Um, Senate Intel Chairman Richard Burr and the ranking member Mark Werner, they gave a little press conference. Uh, it wasn't a little, it was on, on Wednesday, where they talked a lot about these ads. And one thing that Burr said was, you know, we're going to, we don't release documents to the public. We're not going to, we're not going to show people these ads. Warner said, I think at the end of the day, people should see them to know what we're talking about. I think a very open question is how much Facebook is going to like open the curtains themselves. 
but you know that you know it d- does the public pressure get too much where they feel you know like that they have to do the right thing in being more transparent they're probably not on those ads because they're all just going to leak out of the hill <laughs> oh that's that's just going to be like descriptions of ads and news stories for weeks about like what it looks like and without a lot of scale or proportion um, uh, the best thing would be if they just re- Release the ads with a lot of context about how ad buying works and how ad. I mean, the thing is with a lot of these ads too is, even though 10 million people, 10 million views is a in terms of reach, that's like a lot. They probably can't even calculate how much ad traffic in terms of like what the like true ad viewing was last year for 10 million is not a particularly amazingly large sum, right. And I, you know, I think that, like, it will be a very frustrating couple of months, especially, like, around the investigation uh, where we're just getting tiny leaks and trickles out of the room that don't explain the whole picture, uh, where things will seem like a much bigger deal than they actually are, or small things will inevitably be an enormous deal. And one thing I, a big takeaway from the presser on Wednesday uh, when they gave an update on where their investigation stood was, oh my God, this is never going to end. We are going, <laughs> this investigation is going to go on forever. There's something I've been thinking about a lot there with regard to the way that people are, are really focusing on Facebook right now. Again, I sort of have this weird perspective of someone who's been in the weeds on it in exactly the sort of way that it's being covered for years before the normal people cared about it. And the the sense right now, the frustration and anger, it's obviously part of the Russia investigation, but it feels it feels like it's doing the same thing that the Russia investigation has been doing for for so long, which is just like building in intensity and and I feel like you can just sort of feel certain sets of people like putting all their faith and weight in this uh, uh, you know behind this to that this is going to be like reach a definitive conclusion and yet it just sort of like we don't get there right <laughs> there's this part in this is a very narrow literary reference for our listeners uh there's a part in uh, a fan's notes which is a a very well written but dark book wherein somebody is is in a fight, a fist fight, and he starts on like a, a long kind of monologue about why his life has, has not worked out and, and then it's interrupted and it just sort of like keeps like pulling, 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 pulling out like until the actual denouement and then it finally ends and you get to the conclusion and it's like this very, it delivers this big emotional like revelation. It's that feeling where it just keeps stretching, 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 stretching out. But, like, that's not going to happen with this Russia investigation unless something really, really surprising happens in it. It's just going to be a long series of – it's like these Russian ads. Like, I had a lot of people in my Twitter mentions, for instance, the other night kind of suggesting that ads in Michigan could have changed the outcome and all this stuff. And and that is not – that's a very unknowable thing. I think it's pretty unlikely out of these ads. But like, even if it were a going concern, it's pretty unlikely. The the actual news and the relevant point, and I think this was the thrust of that press conference yesterday that Burr and Warner gave, was the fact that we're very like a lot of smart people are very sure that Russia tried to interfere in the election, and that is it is something that happened, and that people need to be worried about for next time. 
And that's that's kind of that is the that's that's the news. Yeah, and and I mean, I think we we notice this with the with the with the ads themselves, like whether or not they're disclosed or not. You know, it's three thousand ads, which is honestly potentially a lot, but probably just you know the tip of the iceberg. And if the public knows what those ads look like you know, okay. Like, cause the ad's not going to be like, when you look at it, you're going to say, Oh my God, you know, I'm, I want to move to Moscow now, you know, like that's not, <laughs> that's not how the ad works, but there's so many of these, you know, what's important. It's about like the ring and you see it. And three days later you've died. Right. Like, you've yeah. just become like a KGB agent. Right. Yeah. You just, you just wake up, you know, in, uh, I, that's how I end up with all these boxes at my door. I just see the ads and, <laughs> and stuff that appears. There you go. <laughs> so I just think I think that you know we're in this situation where people are like, well, if, I, if if we see the ads, we know we know how this is done. It's like, I you know, there's so many of these different these different metrics, and I think that this is sort of where Facebook's getting into its its tricky situation because it's saying you know like there's this whole idea of like ad viewability, how many people saw the ad, you know, you can you can shove it into people's feeds, how many people you know hovered over it for more than three seconds, which counts as the impression versus, you know, one and a half seconds, which maybe they read. It, it's it's so right. Well, and this goes broadly for the Russia investigation in general, barring short of actual collusion that demonstrably changed the outcome of the election, which is pretty, I remain, obviously we'll see how everything shakes out. I remain skeptical that uh, such a thing could, could possibly be proven if, if for no other reason, even... Republicans, even the RNC, even the Trump campaign, even Donald Trump, like they all thought he was going to lose. And people are searching for some kind of revelation, I think, that will validate the idea that maybe the election was, was quote, quote unquote, stolen. But really what this investigation is about and is like, or not in terms of on in terms of the Russia thing is just is an actual threat that people should be worried. Like you don't want, what you don't want is what happened to John Podesta last year. Like you do not want that to become a regular feature of American elections or American business. Like when it happened to Sony a few years ago, like that is not, that is something we don't want. And when, when I'm talking to, to smart people or people on the Hill who think about this stuff, that they always say Russia is not, it's, it's not about changing the actual outcome, but it's about undermining our democracy and like fucking with our electoral systems enough to get people to sort of lose faith right in them yes and and it's not like changing someone's vote from clinton to trump it's, right it it is putting us on shaky ground and that in that way they were successful i mean one right? of the big concerns with wikileaks last year was there there has not been an email that appeared in Podesta's emails or the DNC emails that anyone has uh, disputed was, has, you know, truly objectively disputed was a fake email. That has been a concern that now people feel intellectually think, well, those emails that are on WikiLeaks are real, they're true, that those are, those are the real thing. And that if, you know, next time around, if there was a hacking, if there, if there was hacking and there were emails released, that you might be able to float fake emails into such a thing because people people view the source as a reliable thing and people have become accustomed to seeing these email dumps. Likewise, like, you know, the, one of the big things to understand about Russia interference efforts is when you look at Europe, it is not all right wing. Like sometimes they 
are very interested in left wingers uh, becoming or kind of favoring, you know, tipping, trying to tip the scale in favor of left wingers because what they're looking for is is the general understanding is what they're looking for is weakness in the Western right. world. Right. They want to they want to to be a superpower. And 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 one of the big things too is there's dispute about whether it was really to help Donald Trump win the election or to damage President Hillary Clinton before she took office. I I think it's so important that we're that we're talking about this in this way because I I think the going back to Facebook we talk about how like you know it's it's unknowable in terms of its size and 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 what goes on and but like I don't think we can discount right now just like how much damage this is doing to their reputation, how much they're now keenly aware of that. And like, even just, you know, I think it was either last week or the week before Facebook saying they were going to, you know, try to figure out provisions to make their ads more transparent in terms of, you know, who's, who's buying them. If that sort of is the big thing that comes out of this investigation with regard to Facebook, that going forward, political ads will be, will have this like standard level of transparency instead of this sort of dark murky situation that we were in in the last election like that is a massive step forward and that is you know i it doesn't mean that there's going to be like a huge smoking gun it's just going to be like a little bit of boring regulation that could really seriously change something that sort of got out of control last cycle so i think that that's like such a such a important context for people to think about this, like what we're going through right now, this like, you know, sort of level of, of whatever hysteria surrounding this, that things can come out of this that aren't, you know, <laughs> impeachment or, or really huge, you know, um, but are incremental of, improvements in terms of how precisely. Yeah. I think that, I think that's huge. Yeah. It would be, it would be really good to have political ad disclosure on, <laughs> On the on the platform that people are really viewing viewing quite a bit of their news from, right? Not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it's pretty it's pretty classic. You know, Facebook's old mantra, and this has now become a cliche at this point, is like move fast and break things, and like that's precisely what happened here with you know political advertising. Like, let's just give all these people these unprecedented tools, and we'll you know clean it up, clean up the mess later for the sake of innovation and like things it appears got broken <laughs> <laughs> all right guys i think that's it wow all right everything's a mess <laughs> really not great <laughs> all right friends it's been real thanks for doing this guys all right it was fun farewell forwarded to terror all right final reminder this has been our last show, at least in this iteration of it. Uh, we're going to take some time to think about what a news podcast sounds like for BuzzFeed News. But when we have updates, we'll drop them into your feed. So make sure you keep an eye on that. No One Knows Anything is produced by Meg Kramer, Eleanor Kagan, and Alex Laughlin. The show is edited by Catherine Miller. Production support comes from Veronica Doolin. Our music is by Beauty Pill. You can find us on Twitter at Kate Nocera and at C-U-R-Z-L. 